Good morning, everyone. We're continuing on in our series in Genesis, and we're reminding you that Genesis simply means origins. Where do we come from? Why are we the way we are? Um, It answers some of the questions, but unfortunately, it doesn't answer all your questions. We said over the past few weeks that the Bible is not a textbook for, that answers all your questions. Uh, rather, it's, it's a book that chronicles our relationship with God. What happened at the beginning, and how does it end up? Well, you have to read the book of Revelation for that. But today we're looking at Genesis, the first book in the Bible. And I want to remind you of something that the Scripture says. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3 says this. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed by God's command, that we now see, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. So I just want to clarify something right off the bat. The idea or the notion that somehow uh, we can prove that God created the universe is simply not possible. This is why the writer of Hebrews tells us, by faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed by God's command. It didn't say by science we can prove it, although I think uh, there are some scientists who have come up with some compelling arguments that we can't ignore. But at the end of the day, God is asking for us to trust him. He's asking us to put our faith in him, to believe him. And one of the things that I want you to go home with today is that this Christian life is all about faith. It's all about trusting God. It's all about believing him. And the way that God calls us to put our our faith in him is not by proving all the facts and answering all the questions you ever had, but rather he invites us into a relationship whereby we experience his presence and experience his love. It's on that basis that we go forward in our understanding of God and our understanding of the universe and, again, why we are the way we are. Last week I said that Genesis chapter 3 is like the cover of the, of the, the puzzle box. It, it, it helps you put together the pieces so that you can understand why we are the way we are. Why do we act the way we act? Why do we struggle in our marriage? Why do we struggle with our children? Why do we struggle in our relationship with God? That's what the Bible is all about. It helps us understand who God is and why things are the way they are. So, again, a reminder to you. The Bible is a book about relationship with God and how to have a proper relationship with with, with each other. So it's by faith that we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. Well, more about faith in just a moment, but just let me remind you about this. Faith is believing God... And doing what he says. Let's, let's state that definition again together. Faith is believing God and doing what he says. And we see this in, the, in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, actually, Genesis chapter 2. God tells Adam and Eve, don't eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we find in Genesis chapter 3, they decide not to believe God. They decide not to do what God says. And then you know how sin entered into this world. So, here's what we know. Every time we refuse to believe God, every time we refuse to do what God says, we get into trouble. In fact, I can, I can guarantee that everybody here today, any trouble that you've experienced in your life, 
uh, that it's out of your control, that is, is because you probably didn't believe God and do what he says. We always say that the Bible is not just a book of rules that, that, that sort of rains on your parade and tells you you can't have a good time. No, the Bible is a book of instructions or guidance so that you can have a good life. And we see what happens when we don't do things God's way. We get to Genesis chapter 4, only four chapters in, and then we discover the, one of the most shocking things that you'll, actually, you'll, you'll ever read in the Scripture. It's the very first murder mystery. We find Cain killing Abel. I want to read to you the account. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapter 4, and uh, starting at verse 1, and here's what it says. Now Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant. And when she gave birth to Cain, she said, With the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of the crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best of the firstborn lambs from the flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. And this made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. One day, Cain suggested to his brother, let's go into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where's your brother? Where's Abel? I don't know. Cain responded, am I my brother's keeper? But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from, now you are cursed and banished from the ground which was swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. And Cain replied to the Lord, My punishment is too great for me to bear. You have banished me from the land and from your presence and have made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord replied, No, for I will give you a sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might kill him. So Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. The land of Nod, Nod means the place of wandering. And we see Cain's misery. And we see Adam and Eve's misery. And we see a dead brother. We see in chapter 4 of Genesis the first mention of the word sin. And we recognize that the wages of sin is death 
and misery and destruction. And this is exactly what Jesus says in John chapter 10. The thief, Satan, comes to rob and kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Folks, this is, this is what's going on here. It's a battle between life and death, good and evil. And the Bible tells us clearly that those of us who want to enjoy the acceptance, the approval, the presence of God, those who want to enjoy God, enjoy this life, then you're going to have to do what God says, plain and simple. And so I want to talk to you today about how to find God's approval. How do you find his acceptance? How do you, how do you enjoy his presence? Well, let me, let's just take a moment and look at the fundamental problem here. You've got Cain, who brings his offerings to God, and you see Abel bringing his gifts to God. Now, the casual reader of this passage, you probably won't pick this up. But upon closer reflection and examination, you begin to understand what's going on here. So Cain, is, uh, he brings his crops, his fruit, vegetables, whatever it is, the produce from the land. Abel brings his lambs, his first lambs, the best. God accepts Abel's lamb, but not Cain's. What's going on here? Well, Cain thinks that he can atone for his sins and worship God in his own way and on his own terms. Now, this is really, really important to get this, folks, because in a moment, you're going to see why our culture hates Christianity and hates the church and hates the truth. Cain says, I'm going to worship God. I'm going to, I'm going to pursue God in my own terms. I'm going to do it my way. Now, some of you may have remembered last week when we talked about Adam and Eve that we experience in chapter 3 the very first sacrifice. God kills an animal. An animal has to be killed in order to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve. It's the very first act of atonement. The very first act of payment for sin. And if you pursue the, if you pursue this, uh, what we call the crimson thread from Genesis to Revelation, and how sin is atoned for, you quickly realize that there has to be a sacrifice for sin, because the wages of sin is death. Now remember, this is what God told Adam and Eve right there in Genesis chapter 2. On the day that you, that you disobey and you eat the fruit, you will die. So how do we, how do we atone? How do we pay for this sin? Well, the answer is simple. A lamb must be slaughtered. Someone has got to pay the price. There's got to be a sacrifice made to atone for sin. This, my friends, is what Christianity is about. And I know some of you might think, well, that's, that's pretty gruesome. Well, see, what, what maybe a lot of us don't understand is just how gruesome sin is. How evil, evil is. I'm going to tell you, if you think that our culture and our society is bad right now, you ain't seen nothing yet, baby. There's some bad stuff coming up, and it's going to get worse before it gets better. 
you will begin to understand how evil evil really is. And so here's the thing. God says that a price must be paid. The wages of sin is death. Now here's the thing. Because God loves us so much, because God doesn't want us to die, he gives us a way out. It's the sacrifice. Now Abel understood that. And Abel says, I'm willing to worship God in the way that God prescribes. I'm willing to do it God's way. And so Abel discovers the acceptance and the approval, the presence of Almighty God, and Cain doesn't. Because Cain refuses. Refuses to say, Abel, can I buy a lamb off of you so that... I can worship God in the way that God prescribes. He's too proud. Have you ever noticed how our pride gets in the way of, a, of experiencing and allowing God to touch us? Too proud. I'm not buying a, a lamb from my brother. My produce, what I've come up with, is good enough for God. If it's good enough for me. And Cain loses out on the acceptance of God. Now, here's what you and I need to understand. Fast forward several thousand years, and we come to the day when Jesus Christ goes to the cross. What is Jesus called? He's called the sacrificial lamb. What we see Abel doing here in Genesis chapter 4 is a shadow of what's to come in the person of Jesus Christ. And even as Abel sacrificed that lamb to atone for his sin, to pay the price for his sin, so Jesus someday would die on the cross to pay the price for your sin and for my sin. Some would say hallelujah this morning. Yeah. Cain says, I'm not doing it your way, God. In essence, he's saying, I'm not accepting Jesus. That's what he's saying. And God says this, there is only one way. You have to accept Jesus Christ. It's the only way. Look what it says here in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. Now, can I just remind everybody today, you cannot approach God on your own terms. You cannot worship God on your own terms. The Bible's clear. You've got to do it God's way. And this is the fundamental problem with all of us. We want to live our life on our own terms. We, when, even when it comes to God, we want to do it on our own terms. Don't tell me what I have to do to please God, Pastor. Don't tell me what I have to do to be saved. Don't tell me what I have to do to have the life that I want to have or to have eternal life. Don't tell me what I can and can't do. I see this all the time at funerals. Sending people a time of, of death, remember God. And they'll, they'll start talking about how their loved one has gone to be with Jesus, has gone to heaven. It's funny how at funerals everybody goes to heaven. I gotta tell you, it's not true. At least not according to my Bible. According to your whimsy, your strange ideas, your own sentimental feelings, maybe that's true, but not according to the scripture. The Bible tells me clearly that those 
who put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, those who believe God and do what he says, those who believe in Christ and do what Christ says, those are the ones who go to heaven. You cannot serve God, you cannot worship God, you cannot approach God in your own terms. I was reading an interesting article written by a Professor Sheila Kennedy, professor at Purdue University in Indianapolis. And she wrote a blog say, uh, titled Creating God in Our Own Image. And here's what she says. She says, I'm perpetually bemused by people who know exactly what God thinks and are immensely comforted by the discovery that God thinks just exactly the way they do. Okay, so what she obviously doesn't know is she doesn't know that those who know what, what God thinks are those who have actually read what God has said. Wow, she says, who would have guessed it? And she says, the most recent example I've stumbled upon comes from American Family Association Sandy Rios, who delivered this truly jaw-dropping uh, uh, diatribe on her radio program. And here's what, the, here's what Sandy uh, Rios on the radio program said. This is a Christian, um, a Christian speaking, and she's quoting this Christian. And here's what she says. She says, I would not want to be in the shoes of any of the left right now. I would not want to be in Barack Obama's shoes. I would not want to be in the shoes of homosexual activists. I say that with humility and with fear for them because God will even the score. He will sort things out. He will be God and he will not be mocked. Whereas they think they are getting away with breaking all kinds of moral laws and mocking everyone in the process, they just don't know God. They don't know who they are up against, and we do. And that should bring out some mercy in us, because I wouldn't want to be, what did that old evangelist say? It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. Sheila Kennedy takes exception with this. She says, unlike all of us sinners, you see, Sandy Rios knows God. She says in a sneering way. Sheila goes on to say this, the monumental arrogance and self-delusion displayed by those who purport to know the mind of a deity they themselves described as all-knowing and all-powerful is certainly mind-blowing. So she can't believe that anybody could have a personal relationship with God. Folks, this is what I'm trying to say. The scripture is all about you and I having a relationship, a personal relationship with God. Sheila doesn't understand this. She says, but what really gets to me is the nature of the God these people have created in their own image. Small-minded, vengeful, and partisan. Hardly the sort of God worth worshiping. And she says, I don't, mind, I don't mean to be snarky or dismissive, but if God exists, I'm pretty confident she will reward charity, inclusiveness, and loving kindness rather than prejudice and hate. But then I must hasten to say that I can't really know. Unlike Sandy Rios, I haven't chatted with God lately. Now, let's, let's, not, let's not get uppity here. This poor woman doesn't know God. She does not understand that what matters to God is first and foremost our relationship to him. Is that we know his mind and know his will, know his purpose. I'm going to tell you over the years I've had people get very angry at me 
when I preach and teach some difficult things, things that come right out of the scripture, they'll say, man, you're just too, too narrow. So no, I'm not narrow. I'm not just standing up here sort of spouting my political position on things. I'm telling you exactly what scripture says. I'm telling you what God prescribes for us in terms of a relationship with him and a relationship with one another. I'm saying you can't follow God in your own way, the way Cain thought he could. So here's the thing. Sheila Kennedy is very angry. And people really get angry when you tell them what God wants them to do. I can remember a time in my life when I heard somebody preaching, and it was, it was, it was very black and white and very pointed, and this is what you must do and you can't do otherwise. And I felt kind of ticked off. Who are they to tell me what I can and can't do? But the fact of the matter is that they were right. There's something within us. Our pride does not want to be told. Don't tell me how I'm going to live my life. Don't tell me what I can and can't do. Don't tell me how to worship God or not worship God. Don't tell me what religion I should follow. Well, the fact of the matter is, I'm not. The Scripture is. The Scripture is telling you what you must do to please God. So here's Cain, very, very angry. And I'm going to tell you, the Bible tells us that whenever you are angry... Whenever you can't get your own way and you get angry, the Bible says that you literally give the devil a foothold in your life. I don't know, this morning, there's anybody here who's angry. I'm going to tell you this right now. You've given the devil a foothold in your life, and uh, you're going to experience trouble because of it. Again, that's not me just pronouncing judgment on you. I'm just telling you what the Scripture says. So here's Cain, angry at God, angry at his brother Abel, He can't control God. He can't control Abel. He can't control anything. He gets angry and he thinks, I know how I can get get even with God and get even with my brother. I'll kill him. And so that's what he does. Folks, you and I cannot follow God in our own way. We have to do it his way. So then uh, what does that mean? How do we do that? How do we follow God in his own way? How do we find God's acceptance how do we find his approval, his, his presence? Well, uh, let me show, share with you uh, an example. If you were to visit Queen Elizabeth, as Glory and I did a few weeks ago, or wish we could, you discover that it's got to be on Queen Elizabeth's terms. So, for instance, if you walk into the room, you would not turn your back on the queen and walk out. You would back out of what they call the presence. That's what it's, when you're with the queen, it's called being in the presence. And that's just a short form of saying being in the presence of of the sovereign, in the presence of majesty. So if you're going to see the sovereign, you've got to do it on her terms. So if you walk in, then you back out. And you never stick your hand out to shake her hand. That's a big, 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 big mistake. You just don't do that. She'll, you stick your hand out to her, she'll just look at it. Because she's the one that takes the initiative. And if you're a gentleman, you would bow to her. If you're a lady, you would curtsy. And um, you don't talk to her unless she, again, talks to you first. So you come into the presence and you wait for her to address you. So it's on her terms. And uh, you don't put your hand on the queen. 
Michelle Obama did that, and it sent all the English people into a panic. Because Michelle Obama put her armor on the Queen. And the Queen, I mean, you, can, you can actually Google it on, or check YouTube. She just moves away from that hand. No hand touches the sovereign. You see, you're going to be in the presence of the sovereign on her terms, not on yours. Now, I'm going to say the same thing goes for, your, for, for the presence of Almighty God. For this relationship with Almighty God. It's got to be on his terms, not on your terms. We must recognize that God is the sovereign of heaven and you're not. Did you get that? Because that's always a problem. That's always what gets us into trouble. We're either going to follow our own will or we're going to follow the will of God. We, we recognize the sovereignty of God or we declare that we are sovereign. That's, my friends, how sin enters into your life. You say, I'm not going to do it your way, God. I'm going to do it my way. God, you're not going to tell me what to do. I'm going to do whatever I please. Do you understand today that God is the sovereign of heaven and that we were created by him and that we are invited into into fellowship with him? But the Bible is clear that we have to do it his way. Interesting. Uh, well, Gloria and I were in England recently for our 25th anniversary. We went to, uh, to the, some of the palaces of the various kings, and we went to the palace of King George II. Interesting fellow who loved Handel. I don't know if it, has anybody ever heard of Handel's Messiah and the famous Hallelujah Chorus? Hallelujah. I won't sing it all. I'll just sing bits of it for you because that's why you came this morning. Uh, <laughs> You know, you know, it goes, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Yeah, okay, that's enough. So Handel's performing for the king and for his audience. And when it came to the, the hallelujah course, historians say that King George, in respect for the Lord of Lords, stood up. It's the only time the king ever stood. And when the king stood, while that glorious course of hallelujah to the king of kings and the Lord of lords, when he stood up, everybody stood up. And that's why to this day, whenever the hallelujah course is sung, people are supposed to stand to their feet. In acknowledgement of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But you see, we live in a day and an age when we don't want to acknowledge a higher authority. In fact, we live in a culture that says you are the final authority. You can do whatever you want. You can do whatever you please. Nobody should be able to tell you what to do. Nobody should be able to tell you what to believe. Nobody should tell you what to think. Well, the fact of the matter is, is that ultimately it is your choice. And the choice is this. Do you want the acceptance of God? Do you want the approval of God? Do you want the presence of God? Before I talk to you about how to get that presence of God, that approval of God, I want you to notice something in Genesis uh, chapter 4, verses 13 to 14, after God pronounces judgment on Cain and says that he'll be banished from the land. Here's Here's what Cain says. It's an interesting response. He doesn't say, God, it's unfair, because he knows it's fair. And by the way, I want to just say this to you. Uh, 
each of us understands that the judgment and the punishment of God is fair. We understand that. We know that. That's not, that's not Cain's issue. Here's what Cain says. He, Cain replied to the Lord, my punishment is too great for me to bear. So he understands. He doesn't say, God, I don't deserve this. He says, it's too great. And watch this. He says, you have banished me from the land and from your presence. You've made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. It's being ejected from the presence of God that is such an issue for Cain. He knows that he no longer will be able to go into the presence of Almighty God. He knows that he will no longer be able to pray to Almighty God. He knows that he has lost the most important thing. Listen to this, the most important thing in this life. The acceptance in the presence of God. C.S. Lewis said that he believes that the real, of horror, the real horror of hell will be this, is that forever we will be away from God's presence without ever enjoying his love, his approval, and his presence ever again. He says that's, that is, in his opinion, what the real torment of hell will be all about. Never again being allowed to be in the presence of Almighty God. Never again being allowed to pray and to call out to God. For anyone who has experienced the joy of God's presence and his approval, you'll understand and recognize how truly horrifying this would be. Never again to be able to call on the name of the Lord. Never again to go into his presence. In The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis says this, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says, in the end, thy will be done. The question today is this. Are you that one that's going to say, God, thy will be done? Are you going to be that one to whom God says, thy will be done? Because if you decide, like Cain, to say, it's going to be my will, God, then you will experience and know the horror of being outside of God's presence and not knowing his glorious acceptance and approval. Genesis 4, 7 says this. This is God talking to, to Cain. Cain, you will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. You see, this is what each and every one of us faces on a daily basis, on a moment-by-moment basis. Remember we talked about the seven habits, and the third habit is moment-by-moment holiness? It's, it's that moment-by-momentness of life where we make decisions to either do what God wants us to do or we do what we want to do. True holiness and holiness, by the way, is just a fancy word for saying being separated unto God and to be used by, by God for God's purposes. That's what holiness is. If you want to be accepted, if you want to know God's approval on your life, if you want to know God's acceptance in your life, then you're going to have to do what God says, plain and simple. Folks, that's why we introduced back in uh, last fall, we introduced the seven habits, and we said that this would be something that, would be, that we were going to continually be referring to 
In fact, we've got we've got we've been working on it and developing it. But but here's here's the importance of this. The seven habits tells us how to live this life that God's called us to live. And if you want to know the the acceptance and the approval of God, then you're going to have to do it God's way, not your way. So tell that person beside you you have to live God's way from now on. Go ahead, tell them that. See what they say. Yeah. Okay, that's enough. What is faith? Believing God and doing what he says. That's what it means to do what is right. That's how you find the acceptance of God. You believe God, you do what he says. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says this. Ready for this? Without faith, which is believe God and do what he says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. What is your faith, by the way, folks? When you put your faith in God, what are you saying to him? You're saying, God, I love you. I trust you. And that's what it came down to in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve declared clearly to God, God, we don't love you. We love ourselves. We're putting ourselves first. The Bible says if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. And Jesus says this, if you love me, you will obey my commands. There it is. Believe in Christ and do what Christ says. The Apostle Paul says this in Galatians 1.10, obviously I'm not trying to win the approval of people. And what is wrong with our culture today? Folks, never in, the, in my lifetime I ever, have I ever seen a time when people are so eager to find the approval of other people rather than the approval of God. And Paul says, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Peter, one of the other apostles, he thought that God's favor and acceptance and approval could only rest on the Jewish people. But he had a wake-up call, and it's recorded in Acts chapter 10, because he discovered that God would accept even the Gentiles, Gentiles are people who are not Jews. God would even accept them. On what basis would God accept the Gentiles who traditionally had not been God's people? What is the basis for God's acceptance of the Gentiles? It's the same. They believed God and they did what he said. Here's what it says, Acts 10, 34 to 35. Peter, Peter fairly exploded with the good news. It's God's own truth. Nothing could be plainer. God plays no favorites. It makes no difference who you are or where you're from. If you want God and are ready to do as, the, as he says, the door is open. Acts 10, 34 to 35. You say, Pastor, I don't really know what's the benefit really of having God's approval, of having his presence. I'll tell you. It's what Jesus said. I've come that you might have life. And have it more abundantly. Outside of Christ, folks, you're not going to have that abundant life. And you say, Pastor, I've got a pretty good life and I haven't put my faith in Jesus. Oh, but you don't know what life means. When Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, he's talking about new life. He's talking about a satisfying, happy, fulfilled life where you have peace. 
And in the biggie, you will have eternal life. This is what it means to have the acceptance and the approval of God. New life, abundant life, eternal life. Abel embraced God's will, did what God said to do. And we read in Hebrews that his example, that his name is still remembered as one of the great men of faith. Abel loved God, did what he said. Cain chose to follow his own will. And what was the fruit of his arrogance, his pride, and his desire to do his own will? He lost the presence of God. He became a wanderer, scared for his life, never having a sense of peace, never having a sense of rest. My friends, here's what I want you to know today. God wants you to enjoy an abundant life. He wants you to have the assurance of eternal life. He wants you to have a new life. Do you know that one of the things that I deal with a lot as a pastor, people who come to me, it's plagued by their past. They did things that they're extremely embarrassed of. They've, they've experienced things in the past, and they, they suffer, they struggle with that. Now, here's the gospel. Here's the good news. It's that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the old you dies, and you become a brand new creation, a brand new person. So new, in fact, that you can talk about the old you as though it were a different person, and it is. This is the gospel. God reveals um, how to find his acceptance. And folks, here's the thing that you're going to have to do if you want to enjoy God's presence and his acceptance. You're going to have to find out what he says. That law professor from Purdue University, she thought we were a bunch of arrogant pigs. She thought that... Who are we to say we know what God thinks? Well, we're just humble people who understand that we need to read what God says to know what he thinks. How many understand that? If you haven't opened your Bible up, then you need to do that immediately. If your life is in turmoil and things aren't working out for you, life is a struggle, life is a pain, it's just not coming together for you, then folks, could it be that you're not enjoying the approval and the presence of Almighty God? Pick up your Bible and find out how to find it. And start doing what he says. God has given you his word. He's given you his Holy Spirit. Who will prompt you and lead you. And I'm going to tell you this believer, Christian. The way that you're going to find joy and excitement in your life. The way that your faith is going to come alive and be exciting. Is the day that you start following the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Doing what he wants you to do. Not what you want to do but what he wants you to do. And then finally, God has given you a conscience. It's a, that built-in part of you that reflects the image of God where you discover what is right and what is wrong, and you know it. You know when you're doing wrong, you know when you're doing right. You feel something inside you. I can't explain it, but we all have a conscience, so we all know what we're talking about, unless you're a psychopath or a sociopath. 
You know what I'm talking about. Those three things work together. The scripture, the Holy Spirit, and your own conscience. They work together to lead you in the way where you will find the acceptance of God. Let me just close with this. I became a Christian very young. My parents were not going to church at that time. Uh, not much. Uh, my mother had the wisdom to, to send us to the boys program. And some of you have heard this before. At Calvary Temple called Stockades. It was there. The man that was doing the, the devotions said, would just talked very simply, very plainly to us young boys and, and talked about what it means to have our sins forgiven. Talked about what it means to feel guilt in our hearts and how to, how to have that guilt removed. And he invited us, anybody who wanted to have their sins forgiven and their, their guilt removed. Put your hand up, he says, and, and, uh, and I'll pray for you. And I did that. In fact, I stood to my feet. I think someone beside me was trying to pull me back down again, but this is too good to be true. This is too, too exciting. I was very young. And you've heard me say this before. I hadn't murdered anybody, I hadn't committed adultery, I hadn't, I hadn't, I hadn't done anything, I hadn't robbed any banks. But my conscience was so tender that I knew that I knew that I knew that I was guilty and I needed God's forgiveness. I wanted the presence of Almighty God. Even though I wasn't able to articulate it at that time, I understood it. I needed it. And I, I put my hand up and he prayed for me, asked, asked us to repeat a prayer after, after him. And basically all we did is we say, Lord Jesus, forgive me my sin. Wash me clean and become my savior. Come live in my heart. I didn't understand what all that meant, but I did understand that Jesus had washed my sins away. And I knew that I was forgiven. And it felt like I had a massive, massive weight lifted from my shoulders. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? That day that you accepted Christ. My sins are forgiven. And I experienced at that moment a supernatural joy and a supernatural sense of the presence of Almighty God. And folks, I want to tell you something right now. That first experience with God, that sense of his presence, that sense of his acceptance, his approval, has gone with me from that day. In fact, I felt the sense of his presence and his acceptance and approval so strongly that I actually thought that, God, that I was one of God's favorites. I thought I was one of his favorite children, that God liked other ones, but he liked me best, or one of the best. Because I felt that sense of approval, that sense of peace, that sense that he was there with me at all times. And here's what I found over the years. Those times when I refused to do what God wanted me to do, those times when I did what I wanted to do, those times when I, I didn't fall in line with the promptings of the Holy Spirit, those times when I didn't do what the Scripture said, folks, guess what? Suddenly, my heart would grow cold and I would feel that God's presence wasn't there. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm saying. You don't have to lift your hand up because then you'll let people know you're a sinner. But don't do that. <laughs> I'm the only one, right? Those times when I didn't do what God wanted me to do, those times when I wasn't living the way God wanted me to live, those are the times when I felt, God, where are you? And my, I would pray and it would feel like my prayers were bouncing off the ceiling and, and hitting the floor. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Don't put your hand up. Those times when I wasn't living the way God wanted me to live. 
But then suddenly God would get a hold of my heart. I remember one time very, very clearly, I was at a, a teenager's youth camp on a weekend. And the preacher had preached. I don't even remember what he spoke about, but I knew that this was my opportunity to get my life sorted out, get right with God. I just, I just got on my knees and I started, actually started sobbing almost uncontrollably because I knew, I knew that I wasn't where I was supposed to be and I knew I wasn't pleasing God. And one of the counselors came along alarmed. Should I get the preacher? Should I? <laughs> no, just leave me alone. And I'm, God's dealing with me right now, so just let me be. <laughs> alone with God. And when I finished my crying and finished my asking God for, to forgive me, I felt the presence return. I can tell you this, folks, I never, ever, ever want to lose that ever again. I never want to lose the, the sense of his acceptance and his approval in my life. I want to tell you this, there's a longing in the heart of everybody here today, I know it. Every one of us has that sense where we want the sense of the presence of God. I'll tell you why I know this. It's because God created us for fellowship with him. That's why you were created. That's why God created Adam and Eve in the first place. is for that sweet sense of fellowship with him. You see, God is love. And the only way that God can be God is if he's an object of his love. And folks, you and I are the object of his love. How are you going to get his approval, his acceptance? Start believing God and doing what he says. And your life will will go to a place that's never been before. You'll know a joy you've never known before. You'll know a thrill, a peace, a happiness, a fulfillment that you've never known before. I counsel you, give God a chance and watch what he will do in your life. It's revolutionary. And it's the only thing worth living for. Would you agree with that, Dennis? It's the only thing worth living for. Would you pray with me now? Father, we uh, acknowledge today that we were created for fellowship with you. Created God to be in your presence, to enjoy acceptance and approval from, from you. And this is the thing that brings us the greatest joy. We pray, Father, right now that you would help us to pay attention to your word the prompting of the Holy Spirit to our conscience. So, Father, we may be people of faith who believe you and do what you say. And that's what it always comes down to. Without faith, it's impossible to please you. That's what your word says. Father, I pray that you would bring a revival to the hearts of the people of Cross Church. We pray, God, that you take us to a brand new level in our walk with you where we're enjoying that sweet sense of the presence of God because we are obeying you and doing what you say. We're believing you and doing what you say. Father, thank you. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that even now, your Holy Spirit is wooing us, calling us to yourself. Help us today, O oh God, if we have sin in our lives, if we have not lived the way we should be living, if we have forsaken the presence of God because we want to find the approval of people, God, forgive us, we pray. And may we get our hearts right with you right now. 
Would you just take a moment very quietly to allow the Spirit of God to minister to your heart? We're just going to take just a few moments, just in total silence. Let the Spirit of God speak to you. Father, we thank you that with you there are no mind games. We know exactly how to win your approval. We know exactly how to win your favor. We know exactly how to restore the presence of Almighty God. We've got to do it your way. We've got to be a Christian your way. We've got to serve you the way that you prescribe in your word. So God, help us today to go from this place with a brand new zeal and hunger and desire for you. May we repent of our sin. And may we seek to serve you with all our heart. We pray that in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me? Amen. Amen. Let's take a look at this video clip. And I'm going to ask all the Burundi missionaries if you could come join me at the front. My name is Dennis Lee. 